Well, good morning. Hope everyone's doing all right. I can't hear you out there on the internet, but how about people in here? Yeah. We're going to have to do this like uh, some of the professional uh, uh, leagues. Uh, they're pumping in that crowd noise. Maybe get a little extra this morning, okay? Can we do that? All right. That'll help me out a lot. Teaching uh, or preaching in front of a camera, which is funny, it's kind of become my life now. <laughs> Not only uh, being able to do things with uh, uh, the opportunity to teach and, and preach with the church, but also my job as a teacher uh, here in Wichita Public Schools. Everything's in front of a camera, so I'm excited to be in front of uh, in real live human beings. I uh, hear uh, we got a, the Montiel small group. Yeah, and the Ringer small group are here representing, and they're going to make enough noise and give enough amens for the entire congregation. And so, um, and, and, and if, if someone is listening that is, that is out there and doesn't know me, my name is Ethan Cornett. Um, I, it's a pleasure that I get to share God's word with uh, us all this morning. And so, um, it's, it's, we had a little bit of, you know, we had to make some changes this morning, a little last minute due to weather, you know, and every time we make some change, it could be you know, a little tense. So I want us to loosen up a little bit. Just really take a deep breath. Okay. Loosen up. And I got a couple maybe Bible jokes to get us going here this morning. <laughs> I was sampling them on a couple uh, of our young people here earlier. So uh, I want to ask you guys, do you guys know what kind of person Boaz was before he got married? <laughs> Ruthless. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one, right? I think one's enough. Actually, we'll stop. No, one more. Okay, yeah. Who is the who is the uh, who is the most savvy business person in all of Scripture? You heard this one earlier. Pharaoh's daughter. She went down to the bank of the Nile and withdrew a little profit. <laughs> Let's pray real quick. <laughs> God, we come before you this morning. Uh, God, we come before you with glad and cheerful hearts. We're just any time we get to gather in any way. Uh, and get to uh, not only learn and discuss your word, but God, get to sing uh, and, and just give of our hearts to you and to be with one another. God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that we have the opportunity to continue together and continue to, to, to worship you. And Father, I pray this morning as we dive into a, a complex part of Hebrews, uh, Father, I pray, God, so much that your people hear what you want them to hear. Um, God, help us to get out of the way. Help me to get out of the way. Um, I don't want any human agenda to cloud your word and your message, Father. Um, and I know that you are powerful enough, you are strong enough, that what, what you want us to hear, Father, corporately and even individually, God, you're going to speak to every one of our hearts. God, I pray that we open the eyes and ears of our hearts to you and to your word this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Maybe those jokes were unnecessary. Made me feel better. <laughs> but actually, what I'd like to do is, this is a little unlike me, but I want to read you a short story. Take about five, six minutes or so. So if you can just bear with me in that and just maybe even close your eyes and just listen. Because something I want to do this morning is I want us to get into the mindset, get into the, the eyes, ears, heart, of our spiritual ancestors, the, the original recipients of Hebrews, okay? And that's, that's kind of the mindset I want to take on. So I'm going to read a short story that could maybe help us get there, okay? Is that good? All right. All right. Antonius sat alone in a deteriorate, deteriorating second-story apartment located in a slum on the slope of the Esquiline Hill in Rome. As rain pelted the age-worn wall outside, a plate of bread and vegetables and a, a cup of sour wine rested on a makeshift table. The room had turned dark with the coming of this storm, and Antonius lit a small oil lamp against the gloom. With the light, hungry roaches materialized, scampering in the dark safety of the cracks in the wall. In the apartment next door, a baby cried, and the infant's father screamed obscenities at the infant's mother. An urgent conversation rose and then faded as an unseen pair of business partners walked down the stairs. Somewhere in the muddy street below, 
A unit of Roman soldiers marched past, driven under sharp orders from its commander. Antonius sat alone, thinking. That morning, his employer, a rough, burly fellow named Brutus, once again turned from the task of pricing fruits and vegetables to ridicule this young Christian. The verbal jabs had become as annoying as gnats, darting to and fro in the shop's pungent air. Brutus was big, obnoxious, and cruel. Antonius cringed against the man's emotional blows, wishing he could strike back out of his heart in embarrassment. Each time he turned the other cheek, it received a slap in kind. Yet, he bit his lip, nursed his wounded pride, and again asked the Lord's forgiveness for his thoughts. Persecution of the church in Rome had yet to result in martyrdom. But since the expulsion of Jews under the Emperor Claudius, Christians had continued to be harassed to various degrees by both Jews and pagans. Upon the expulsion, some had suffered imprisonment, beatings, and the seizure of their properties. This is almost 15 years ago now. Antonius had not been part of the Christian church at that time, but had heard about the conflict. In fact, his own grandfather, ruler of the synagogue of Astinius, had been one of the most outspoken opponents of the Christians. When at 17 Antonius converted to Christianity, the old man almost died, declaring Antonius dead in a shouting match that ended in tears in a tattered relationship. In recent months, abuse of the church had escalated with the amused approval of the emperor himself. And now emotional fatigue was taking its toll. Footsteps in the hall. A scream in the night. Meaningless events that nevertheless set Antonius' heart racing. He had been told the cost of following the Messiah, but somehow his experience was different than he expected. In the beginning, he thought his joy would never be broken. That he would always feel the presence of God. He had been taught that the Lord, the righteous judge, would vindicate his new covenant people. Did not the scriptures speaking of the Messiah say that, had, that God had put all things into subjection under his feet? But the church had taken a great beating lately. And members of its various house groups had become discouraged and were questioning whether Christ was really in control. In their hearts, they wondered if God had closed his ears against their cries for, for relief. Some, in their disillusionment, doubted and left the church altogether. Antonius Bardavid remembered the traditions of the synagogue and the support of the Jewish community, the joy of the festivals, the solemn celebrations of the Jewish calendar. He appreciated the fellowship of Christ's community, but genuinely missed the traditions of his ancestors, and he missed members of his family. He watched them from a distance as they walked together to the market by the Tiber River. Some of them would not speak to him and passed him on the street as they would a Gentile. That was difficult. Today, his loneliness closed in around him like a dark, damp blanket. To make matters worse, he was one of the poorer members of the church. When Antonius became a Christian, he lost his job as a tailor's apprentice in the Jewish quarter. He now spent his days sorting rotting produce, sweeping the floor, swatting flies, and receiving orders from obnoxious Roman soldiers shopping for rich mistresses. He stooped so low as to take pieces of rotten fruit home to supplement his meager food supply. Even rich men's slaves fared better. Earlier in the week, Gaius, the kitchen slave of an equestrian who lived in the area, tossed him a handful of overripe figs, saying, Here, Christian! Change your cannibalistic diet and take a bit of good fruit. Laughter hung with the gnats in the air. To be poor and a Christian invited double portions of ridicule. Antonius had missed the weekly meal in worship for the past two weeks, and his heart had cooled somewhat toward the little house group. A spiritual itch in the back of his spirit warned him, cautioning him concerning his loss of perspective. Yet... In recent days, he had begun to snuff such thoughts from his mind as quickly as they came. Antonius's bitterness over his current circumstances was growing and slowly obscuring the truth. That night, the believers were to meet for worship and encouragement. Rumor had it, leaders had received a document from back east somewhere. 
Although discouraged and tempted to skip the meeting again, Antonius's curiosity was aroused, and he decided to travel the short distance to the neighborhood house at which the fellowship was to meet. Entering the gathering room, he spoke greetings to several friends who also looked tired from the day's work. The hostess offered something to drink in friendly banter, but dejection hung like a cloud over the room. And when the meal was finished, the group's leader, a good and godly man of almost 70 years, finally arrived. Joseph was a bit out of breath, having come from a meeting with the other leaders halfway across the city. He was visibly moved as he stood smiling before the group of about 20, his hands shaking slightly from advancing age. After a few words of introduction, Joseph took a deep breath and explained he had talked to the other leaders into allowing his group to be the first re- to have the first reading of the scroll. With a twinkling in his eye, the elder said, I believe you will find this quite relevant. He unrolled the first part of the parchment and began reading with vigor. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We're building on the theme of Jesus is greater. That's the theme within the letter of Hebrews. And something you've, if you know me or if you've been to our our Sunday school classes or really it's kind of the culture here. We want to understand scripture as our spiritual ancestors understood scripture. Amen? We want to see it through their eyes. So this morning, I want us to really consider that. When I read that short story, I felt like it was too good to pass up. Antonius, while not a real person, gives us a very vivid idea of what the church was dealing with when this letter was written. And I believe that's incredibly important to us to understand what the letter to the Hebrews means. Amen? Okay, hopefully that was helpful for you. Hopefully that gave you some perspective. It gave me chills when I read that for the first time. It helps me to identify with the recipients of that letter. And we know that the letter cannot mean to us what it didn't mean to them back then. So as we dive into what we're starting, this chunk of Hebrews, which we had put out earlier in in the week to, to read through it a couple times, because there's a lot here. Uh, It's the end of Hebrews chapter 4 all the way through the end of chapter 7. As we kind of go through this and I hit on a few things, I'm going to hopscotch around it on the the assumption that you guys have read it out there, that you guys have already read it. I'm going to kind of move around, but I want us to do it all through the eyes of someone that this was originally written to. Okay? All right? Is that good? All right, cool. So... As we dive in, remember their struggles, the loss of family, the loss of job, the loss of financial security, their, their compromised reputations for being a Christian, the social isolation that came from that, the, the rejection of the Jewish community, which was their safeguard against Roman society. Remember those things. It's easy for us to get on our high horses today and to look back and be like, man, those early Christians must have been just some knuckleheads. No, (laughs) no, not at all. We can begin to see and feel the temptation to leave Jesus in order to gain all of those things back. I think if we're really humble, we're like, that's hard. It's hard, isn't it? They were forgetting that Jesus is greater. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to dive into a few things here. There's a lot here, and I'm not going to unpack it all. You're going to have questions, and that's good. I'm going to try to address some questions, but what I want to do is I want us to get through the mind into the heart this morning. We're going to have to go to the mind. We're going to have to talk about some concepts and to understand what is going on in this letter to the Hebrews. We can't talk about it all, but I want us to talk about just enough for it to sink in on a heart level for God's word to prick our hearts and to show us how this applies to us collectively and individually. Okay. I keep doing a lot of okays. Apparently I'm in need of affirmation this morning. Thank you, Josh. First question I had in my mind, why this discussion about Jesus being a high priest? Why does that matter? Right? Right. 
I believe that's a question. We can be like, okay, we'll just talk about Jesus high priest and we can define it and break it apart. But why? We've got to start with the why. Why the discussion about priest? Why does Jesus even need to be a priest? Now get into the mindset of a Jewish person back then who made sacrifices in the Jewish community, in the, in the, in the nation of Israel, who made sacrifices? Priests. And who were the priests? What nation were they? Levi. They were Levites. Okay. Very good. According to the Torah, only priests could make uh, uh, sacrifices for the atonement of sin. And, and you can go back if you want to look and reference that. Point you towards Leviticus 16. Um, kind of breaks that down. Uh, Exodus 28 gets into the appointment of Aaron um, and his descendants, which he's a Levite. The Levites made sacrifices for individuals. Now who among the Levites could make sacrifices and atone for the whole nation of Israel? The Kohen Gadol, the high priest, that literally actually just means the great priest, the high priest. So you had the Levites, the priests, but only the high priests could make atonement for the entire nation. Okay. All right. We're, we're good. Yes. Okay. So what's the problem here? That's good. Sounds good. Thank you. Jesus wasn't a Levite. What nation was he? Judah, from the line of David, Judah, he's not a Levite. This is not that hard to figure out in the mind of those in the, 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 the Jewish Christians. He can't make sacrifices, guys. He's, he can't even be a priest. He's not a Levite. Ah, do you see a sticking point here? Okay, this isn't clicking. Jesus wasn't a Levite. How could he then make a sacrifice himself? for the atonement of sin. This is why Jesus has to be greater than Aaron. The theme of this is Jesus is greater than Aaron. Jesus is greater than the, the priesthood of Aaron, the priesthood of the Levites. But why? Jesus has to be greater than that in order for his sacrifice to even make sense. For Jesus to be greater than Aaron means that he indeed can make atonement for the sin of Israel and then the whole world. Okay? So if he is in the, the Levitical, that's the term I'm going to use quite a bit here. Levitical just means a Levite. If he's not in the Levitical priesthood, then what priesthood is he in? Now, if you've read Hebrews, you know the, this answer. But let's go there. Turn with me to Genesis 14. I was going to simply reference this, but we got to go there, yeah? Okay. Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 18 here. This is, this is following the narrative of Abraham uh, rescuing his nephew. And it says here, I'm going to back up to 17 here just for a little bit of context. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah. Then Melchizedek, what? Hold on to that name. Then Melchizedek, king of, of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram said, Take my money, and gave him a tenth of everything. He didn't say take my money, but he gave him a tenth of everything, right? Which is the thing you do. This is the first and really one of the few times we see Melchizedek appear in scripture. He was a priest for God before the Levitical priesthood was even made. He precedes, precedes, precedes the Levites, the Levitical priesthood. Okay. Hold on to that, right? So who was he? Consider his name. And if you read in Hebrews chapter 7, it actually tells you, and that it breaks it down for you. But Melchizedek, his name means my king is righteousness. And he's also king of Salem. Salem, we are pretty sure, is the site of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
Okay, Salem means peace. So he's king of peace. Okay, this is a pretty special fellow. And we're not going to get into who was Melchizedek. <laughs> that is a rabbit hole of a rabbit hole. We are not getting into this morning. But I don't think that necessarily matters for our context here. I think what matters is, is the, the meaning in the name and that he precedes the Levitical priesthood. He is priest of God most high. He was so great that Abram just knew to give him a sacrifice, to give him a tithe. He's like, this dude's obviously a priest. He's going to do his priestly thing with God and I'm going to do my thing. Whoever blesses in that culture is considered kind of the superior, right? And whoever receives the blessing is kind of the one more inferior. That Those aren't necessarily the right terms to use, but that kind of gives us that concept, right? Melchizedek is greater than Abram. Okay? Hold on to that. Melchizedek. So, so follow this logic here. Levi descends from Abram. Okay? Levi, from who the, the nation of Levi comes from, is a descendant of Abram. Abram is therefore greater than Levi in the mindset. Okay, with me? Yes. Okay. Melchizedek is greater than Abram. Therefore, Melchizedek is greater than Levi. Okay, are you with me? Where does Aaron descend from? Levi. Melchizedek is greater than Aaron. Okay? All right. So, whose priesthood is Jesus in? Melchizedek. Go, come with me real quick. I, I, I said, we're, we're, we're going to have to go to Hebrews. I want to show you. Hi, Ren. <laughs> and and the, it says several times in, in this section here within Hebrews. But just for example here, read in Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse Five. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God, so he didn't take that upon himself. But God said, you are my son today, I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So how is Jesus in the order of, Mel how is he a priest under Melchizedek? Because he's chosen by God and not by ancestry. And if you read here, okay, we're just going to have to go there. Hebrews chapter 7. I was trying to cut time and reference things, but we need to read God's word together. Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to read just the first three verses here. Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy. Let me say that again slower. Without father or mother. Without genealogy. Without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. What that means is it doesn't matter. Melchizedek's ancestry doesn't matter. What matters is that God chose him to be priest, obviously. And Abram knew that. Jesus' ancestry, it's not about that. It's that he was chosen by God. To be a priest chosen by God and not by your ancestry means you're in the order of Melchizedek. Does that make it enough sense to follow? Okay, okay. Good. So why, why are we talking about this? It's not about us. Remember, who is this written to? It's our ancestors. Likely in Rome. The early Christians. Our ancestors in Rome needed to hear this exposition of the priesthood. Because they could not get their minds around the fact that Jesus wasn't a Levite. How could he make sacrifices for us? This was a big sticking point. Okay. They needed to hear this. They needed this teaching. And it's, we have to keep that in mind before we dive into this section of trip, scripture and we start getting into like, well, is this a code for something else? Or what does this mean to me? What does this mean to me? What does this mean to me? It's not about me, me, me. We have to understand what it meant to them. Okay? Yeah. All right. I wanted to clear the air. Come on. Ultimately, the principle that we can draw from this is that Jesus is greater 
Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than any genealogy we can produce. Right? Jesus is greater than even the Levites. So how does this change? How does Jesus being high priest change the way we follow him? Okay. So first we talk about why talk about high priest. Now it's how does this change the way we follow him? Turn with me to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that may we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How does this change the way we follow Jesus and, and, and become disciples? How does this change our relationship with God? It gives us confidence. Confidence. And it gave, and again, through the eyes of the Jewish Christians who believed you had to have someone else represent you before God, and God may or may not hear, depending on not only your sin, but the sin of that particular priest. It's kind of a gamble. Jesus blew that wide open. That curtain was torn. I, we cannot fathom the amount of confidence that gave to a Jewish Christian back in this time. We can just talk to God? We just have access to him? No, that's, that's too crazy. That confidence to approach God. And you see it, what happens when people approach God in Scripture, in the Old Testament? Let's not talk about that right now. <laughs> it's scary. But Jesus has gone before us to make that way. Having a human priest meant that your people's connection to God was dependent on this guy remaining as sinless as possible and being sure that he was cleansed before approaching God. But because Jesus is sinless, there is no fear, there is no anxiety that God will hear us because of our high priest, Jesus. We have unwavering confidence to know that we are heard and that we can approach God and be in his presence because our high priest is pure. Amen? Yes. How beautiful is that? Because of, because of Jesus, we always have a clear and direct path to God. We take that so for granted. But if we view that in the eyes of our spiritual ancestors to whom this sermon was written to a long, long time ago, we should feel something special. Right? We cannot create that connection ourselves. That's that ended up. That's what the Levitical priesthood became. Not God's intention, but it's what it became. About how can we move that favor line? How can we get God's grace? How can we achieve that? We cannot create that ourselves. It doesn't work. When we get into the mindset that we have to earn God's attention or grace. We're rejecting Jesus as our high priest. We're saying what he did wasn't good enough. That I still have to, well, yeah, but I still feel like I have to get. No. You're saying you're rejecting Jesus as high priest. And you're substituting him with an old system that doesn't work. Let that sink in. That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Hurt me. Woo! Let's turn to Hebrews 5. We'll talk about a, another way this changes the way we follow Jesus. How are you guys doing? Good. All right, honey, we'll go. All right. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. I'm going to read this whole chunk here, this exhortation here. We have much to say about this when he, the, the, the author just brought up Melchizedek and then kind of stopped himself because he needs to make a point here. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you're no longer trying to understand. Yikes. 
In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you elementary truths of God's word all over again. Yikes. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be, and be taken forward to maturity. Be taken forward into maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and faith in God and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment and God permitting, we will move beyond those things. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that's, that's one of those things we can read and be like, these guys must've been knuckleheads. You can't figure out repentance. Like, come on, that's a, one Bible study right there. You got it figured out. When we lack confidence, to go back to the previous point, when we lack confidence in our relationship with God, or when we neglect the confidence that we're offered in our relationship with God, we very easily lose all motivation to learn more about him and to invest in his word to us. Does that make sense? There's so much to learn about God that can transform our hearts and our, and our lives and lives of people around us. And guys, trust me, here in the Wichita Church of Christ, we've barely scratched the surface. And that's not disrespect at all. That is all respect due to God's word and how deep it really is. Amen? Amen. So going back to the original audience, it was their lack of maturity and their apathy about learning. Think back to that short story. What would cause that apathy? Right? It was, it was the lack of confidence. It was because of their apathy towards learning that prevented them from being able to understand the deeper truths of Scripture, specifically here, learning about Melchizedek. And so at least this thought sprung into my mind. And so this might be a great analogy for five people out there, but I'm going to try to do this anyways. I just want to share it. It was on my heart, so I'll share it. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Okay, okay, yes, if you've taken a psych class or you're a teacher or a counselor, you've probably heard of this. Um, this it's, it's a pyramid is the figure they often use. But basically the idea is um, you have basic, like, physical needs that people need, like, you know, food and water and, like, health, right? And then once those are secured, then things like safety. They need to be safe. They need to have shelter and those sorts of things. And then once they have that, then they need love right and it, love and and uh belonging in relationships and then once they have long, love and belonging they need esteem and then the the top of the pyramid is self-actualization they you can only reach self-actualization to know your purpose and who you are and to give back to the community once you have all those other things as your foundation did i say that right okay i'm looking to the people in the room like gonna again i need affirmation okay <laughs> I think in some, in some way there's a spiritual version of this, our, our, our spiritual hierarchy of needs. There's, there's these elementary truths that we've got to, we've got to have those master. We've got to have those figured out. Then he lists some of those things off here in Hebrews, in Hebrews 6, those things in the first few verses. We have to have those things before we can move on to kind of, deeper levels of transformation and deeper levels of connection with God, right? Spiritual milk, solid food, right? So anyways, I don't know if that's even helpful or necessary, but that's where my mind went to. <laughs> we do not grasp the elementary teachings of Jesus like the ones listed here in Hebrews 6. Also think of, I don't know, John 13, 34, 35. What Jesus say there? Love the Lord with all your heart soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's elementary. Acts 2.42, things listed there. Devoted to what? Four things. Breaking bread, prayer, fellowship, apostles' teaching. These are elementary things. The elementary things that are there clearly in Scripture. Amen. Are you guys with me? Yeah. Oh, that was a resounding yes. Amen. <laughs> 
So we know the things in Hebrews 6, the author lists out these elementary teachings that are kind of their stumbling blocks. Like, why do we have to keep talking about these things? My question for us this morning is, what are our elementary teachings that we are just simply not getting past? For them, it was those teachings of Jesus that put them at odds within the community, and with the Jewish community specifically, but really their community. They had a hard time grasping those because it was difficult. But what about for us? We're in a bit of a different state. Yeah? So back to kind of considering Acts 2.42, some of these foundational thing, things being devoted. We, we, I, I believe since I started coming to around to this fellowship, we pride ourselves. Our, our, our fellowship prides itself on this passage. Apostles' truth, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, to prayer, right? These elementary teachings. How, how are we doing with those things? Do we have to keep talking about them? And if you're tired of hearing about it, why do we keep talking about it? Is it because we don't know what else to talk about? Is it because we like hearing ourselves talk about these things? Or is it because we need to get on past spiritual milk? Guys, if you feel stuck, if you feel apathetic, and you crave deeper spiritual connection with God, you have to get past spiritual milk. You have to be engaged in the fellowship. Breaking of bread. Yeah, eat together. Be in each other's homes and lives is what that means. Prayer, God's word. Listen to God more than you listen to yourself. Amen? I don't want to, I'm not trying to be fire and brimstone and say, we need to do this thing right here. Because I believe God will make that clear in your heart, in our hearts collectively. Amen? Let us move on, is what the author says. Guys, let's move on past these elementary things. God's got work to do in Wichita. And God's been at work in Wichita for a long time, forever before we were even here. But do we want to be a part of that on some next level? Let's get past some of these elementary things. Amen? All right, now I'll stop talking. One more point, actually, with that. I had to go to the next page. It's very easy with that thought to be like, yeah, we, and by secretly in your mind, we say we, you mean they. (laughs) They need to get on past these things, or they need to do this. No, no, no. You. What is your role in our collective getting past that? What is your role in that? What elementary truths are you still stuck in? And be humble and ask maybe people around you, hey, how do I do? Like, bro, I've never heard you pray once at a, oh, okay. Bro, you've never invited me over. You know, ask somebody. And... If you're like, I'm waiting on other people, man. I, I've been hungry for some spiritual food. Like, okay, where are you helping others grow? Okay. We need mentors. We need mentors. We need mentors. Marissa said, say it again. So I said it again. We need mentors in this church, family. <laughs> we need mentors. <laughs> Let's teach our young people. Amen? Let's stop letting young Christians just figure it out or learn the hard way. We're all going to learn the hard way, yeah? But we just don't have to be bystanders to that. Amen. All right, let's go to the next section here. Off script. If we needed to hear that, amen. If we didn't, that's, that's on me. Hebrews 6, verses 4 here. So, we're talking about how does Jesus being high priest change the way we follow him? Let's look at an example of what if you don't follow him. Okay? I felt like I had to address this because this is such a misunderstood portion of this passage that if we look through the eyes of people back then, it just clicks. So, a quick word here. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. It's, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, 
to their loss they are crucifying the son of god all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace okay there's a little bit more let's no let's keep reading land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop blesses receives the blessing of god but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed in the end it will be burned this has been incredibly abused throughout history incredibly misunderstood and i'm not going to pretend like i have all the things figured out on this but i want us to i want to realign our thinking on this passage because certainly as you were reading through this you stopped here or this has been used on you or you've used this on someone okay context is key to remember the jewish christians at this time were leaving the christian faith to return to the levitical sacrificial system they were saying i'm going to go sacrifice to the temple i learn about jesus he is the high priest he sacrificed himself for the forgiveness of sins forever i believe in that i live that i've partaked in that lifestyle and in life like our buddy antonius life takes its toll and you're like actually i don't know about that i don't think that jesus really did and i'm going to go back to the old system and i'm going to go back to taking my sacrifices to the levites at the temple or wherever are you with me can you see through that perspective the point the author is making here is like once you (laughs) to go back to the old sacrificial system is saying that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't good enough. And so then how can you jump back and forth? How can you, how can you see the light again? <laughs> now, something I would really like to clarify for us to consider when it comes to language here. Impossible, like impossible, that's definite. Game over. Okay, no. This has a negative. That, that, this comes from the Greek root word for possible with the negative in front of it. So possible means probably and then when we hear the word impossible what do we typically think never no flip possible so probably what's the opposite of probably probably not okay does that click okay it is incredibly 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 unlikely (laughs) that's for someone to be able to go from from living fully in jesus to falling away, to coming back. And let's be clear about what falling away means. Falling away is a very intentional apostasy that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. Falling away is not someone who has some doubts, because we all have doubts. Falling away is someone not leaving the fellowship because they have hurt or conflict. That's not falling away. We've got to change our vernacular, because that is incredibly damaging. Okay? Falling away is a very intentional denial of Jesus' sacrifice because the entire gospel hinges on that. Does that make sense now? Even then, it's very unlikely. But with God, all things are. Let's move on from this. So we've talked about why the priesthood matters. We've talked about how does that change the way we follow Jesus. Now, what are a couple rewards for doing this? Hey, here's a good part, right? What do, what do we what do, what do we receive when we do this? To to briefly visit here, Hebrews four sixteen says, "Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need." when we follow Jesus as our high priest, we receive a boldness, okay? I know we're kind of hitting on a point already made, but this is empowerment to receive God's grace any time. Any time. Think through the eyes of our ancestors again. You don't have to make a pilgrimage. You don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to go find the pure lamb or or, or goat or whatever it might be. You could just have access and forgiveness to God. This had to be mind-blowing for them, okay? But for us today, what do we receive? We receive boldness. What else do we receive? Hebrews 6, 19. We sang about this, didn't we? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. 
He's become high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have an anchor for our soul. Do you need to fear? Do you need to have anxiety? Do you need to worry? No. Okay. Their anchor had been in the Levitical priesthood, which was never intended to be the anchor. (laughs) Never. But they made it into that. If their anchor was going to be in a priesthood, what the author here is trying to do is saying, your anchor is then in the high priest, Jesus. But the hope isn't in a priest who may enter the presence of God on our behalf. It's in Jesus. It's in in that Jesus did, and now we can too. So I'm going to wrap up here. What I'm going to try to attempt to do is bridge some of this to today, what we are experiencing now. And then I'm simply, I'm just going to end with three questions. Three questions to take with you. Three questions to discuss and maybe in your small group to pray about. Okay? Sound good? Okay, I'm not interested in trying to give you practicals. (laughs) I believe God is speaking to your heart this morning and our hearts together. So what is our context for being tempted to no longer follow Jesus? They were being tempted to no longer follow Jesus, but what sorts of things around us are tempting us? What, What sorts of things are creating challenges around us? The easy ones here, the pandemic, but let's not downplay that. Let's not downplay that. Even though if you were to ask one of our the Christians in Rome about the pandemic, their response would be, which one? <laughs> but in our own way, really, it is incredibly challenging. It has a lot of people questioning the power of God. God's ability to heal. Is God there? Does he hear our prayers? Social division. Racial division around the world. That's not new. Political divisions. That seem to have a funny way of always creeping into the church. And same with the racial divisions, too. Perhaps some of the things that pull us away from Jesus is maybe the comfort of postmodernism. Things would be easier if I could just live my truth, said the millennial. Perhaps something that's tempting to pull us away from following Jesus as our high priest is churchianity. Yeah. Yep. 100.1. That's preset number one on my radio. I'm good. I read the verse of the day. I have 200 friends on the Bible app. I've been a winter jam 20 years in a row. I only watch Pure Flix. I don't know. I'm just saying stuff now. But you get the, you get the point. It's the, the church culture without the head of the church. <laughs> church is not comfortable. Can we say that again? It hurts. Church is safe. But it's not always comfortable. It calls us to change. Okay. Those questions, I'm going to leave you with a few questions. I'm going to pray. We'll take communion together. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys. You guys have been incredibly patient. First one. If those in Hebrews had been defaulting to a system instead of trusting in Jesus, then what systems or religious dogma do you default to? What systems or religious rules do you default to instead of clinging to Jesus? I'm trying to, t- I'm trying to take what they were struggling with and, and, and spin it back to us here. Okay. Another question. If those in those in the letter of Hebrews had had grown apathetic in pursuing understanding and maturity and that was stunting their growth and causing some of them to turn back. What spiritual elements have you grown apathetic towards?
maybe another term that might help us, what spiritual disciplines? What spiritual disciplines have you grown apathetic towards? Again, think Acts 2.42 if you need some help with that. And then lastly, if those in Hebrews were lacking confidence in Jesus because they did not see him for who he was, then in what ways are you not seeing Jesus for who he is? It's like asking a blind person to, to describe something that they can't see. <laughs> it's kind of odd. What ways do you not see Jesus for who he is? Like, how are you supposed to answer that? Right? Okay. Search in his word. Who is in your life to reveal Jesus to you? really reveal Jesus to you? Do you really see Jesus as greater than your current circumstances? Amen. We're going to take communion together now. Maybe you could think about those things, but maybe something better to think about during communion is to remember the fact that Jesus is greater. And let's remember that in him. Amen. It's because he is greater. It's because he's gone behind the curtain that we can approach God right now together. We can approach God right now together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for you choosing him to represent for us. And God, as we take the, the bread and the cup, we remember that that is, a, that, is a, that is a holy thing. It is a special thing for us to be able to relate to our ancestors, for us to be able to do what Jesus did with his disciples, to take this bread and cup together. And God, I pray that we really consider in our lives where we might be neglecting that your son is greater than what we are dealing with. We love you. We thank you. It's in his, his holy name that we pray. Amen.